All right. Quick recap, as we always do, last several weeks. How many of you have been challenged in your faith in the last several weeks slash months? Raise your hand. High. Own it. Okay, great. How many have been trying to keep up with uh, Hebrews and reading it in your own time? All right. And if you're not, I don't know why you're not. I'm just kidding. If you're not, don't worry about it. But we want to continue to encourage you to get in the Word and, and to get into Hebrews. Um, how many of you that have been reading it have found it challenging? Anyone find it challenging? It's very challenging, I would say. In, in the last several weeks, we've, we've seen from the writer of Hebrews, we have seen him compare Jesus to the people in that culture that were held in high esteem, um, people and beings, that being angels. We've seen Moses. We've seen the comparison of Melchizedek to Jesus. And Melchizedek was a priest and a king. He was able to do both really well. Does it sound like someone we know? Yep, Jesus, high priest, king. And Melchizedek, remember, is compared to Jesus, not Jesus to Melchizedek. Okay? So we see a man who we'll hear more about in chapter 7 that we know little to nothing about, but we know that he, he does compare in character to that of Jesus. That he's someone that really reflected the, the heart of Christ, but that Jesus is still greater than even him. And so then the last couple of weeks, we've been, been speaking on a, a word that we need to know as a culture and not just need to know that we need to put into practice is the word rest. How many for you rest is a challenge? Okay. How many of you it's easy peasy? Because I want your number. Okay. Some it's, yeah, easy. Um, but I, I feel like the, the process to get to the place of rest is not an easy one. Um, Rest comes from being in whose presence, right? You can't receive the rest and the peace that comes from Jesus without being with Jesus. That's just simple logic. And so Mark did a great job at talking about entering God's rest. And then last week we talked about what it means to draw near with boldness and confidence to the throne of God. And one of the things that we didn't, I didn't touch on last week that I just want to remind you of is that in that culture, to approach the king's throne was a big no-no. So when we hear the language of uh, approach, draw near with boldness, the throne of grace, what do you think that speaks to a culture where that's a no-no? That's a big statement. Not a big statement to us, right? But to them, that was a big statement. That means that Jesus is approachable. That means he invites you in. That means there's not punishment for being in his presence. There's only blessing from being in his presence. And so today, we're going to talk about some good stuff, and, and it will not leave um, this congregation, because this is something I think is so important, that even when we are outside of the, the series of Hebrews, we've got to continue to pressing into what we're going to talk about today, because it's a non-negotiable. And that is this idea of, of practicing the presence of God. And we'll talk more about what that means in a, f- a few minutes. But we're going to go through Hebrews 5:11 through 6:12, and it is a long chapter, so or a long passage, and so I'm just going to highlight some key things. Now there will be some things that some people see where you know, oh well, he didn't touch on that or this or that. Well, there's a reason because this this passage is packed. So, but we're going to pull out what is key to this passage, what the the author is trying to get across, and and camp there. Are we good with that? All right. Okay. So um, I'm going to read a few things, and you can follow along, and I'm going to move through this a little quickly, not too quickly, but 
I want us to focus more so on verse 14 today, which we'll see, and that ties everything together. So we see here in verse 11 um, through 14, I'm going to read this portion. About this we have much to say, and, and what the author is saying there is what we talked about last week, is that Jesus and Melchizedek, that comparison there, and that Jesus has experienced every single temptation you and I could even think of, or at least the root thereof, okay? Um, and so that makes him perfect because he didn't succumb to sin in the midst of that temptation. So we have a perfect high priest, high king. So um, the author continues, about this we have much to say. So there's a lot to say about that. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we're going to stop here for a second. I want to look at um, uh, verse 12 here, or sorry, verse 11 at the end. Um, About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since... Uh, you've become dull. You've become dull of hearing. Now, remember, the writer has authority, has a spiritual authority in this community. That's why he's writing to them. That's why they'll listen to him. Now, if Mark, whom I respect greatly, because I, I don't tease people I don't respect. If he were to say to me, if he were to sit me down, Brendan, I want to show you more about Jesus. I want to help lead you into more of the heart of God. But you know what? I can't because you're kind of dumb. You don't listen. You're, you're dull of hearing. There's no ambition. There's no desire to know God deeper in your life. If I heard that from someone I loved and respect, that would crush me. Would that crush anyone else? Especially when you think you're working hard on things in your relationship with God, whether you are or not, or you're working on the right things or not is irrelevant. But when you hear that from someone, that can be a crushing blow. That can be something that really discourages you. This is how he opens up this passage. I want to say more about this. I want to explain it to you, but I can't because you're dull and you're hearing. And then we see the contrast between milk and solid food. And those who live on milk, it says, are unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, righteousness is not the same as rightness. Okay, Righteousness is not the same as rightness. Who likes to be right? Right? We all do. Because it means we're in alignment with something, but we love what it gives us. It gives us a sense of power over something. Right? A lot of couples will fight about who's right. And who's wrong in this situation? Do we have any stubborn people other than me in this room? Okay. How do you feel when you lose one of those fights? It makes you want to be more right the next time. And then you start tallying it up. Who's ever done that? In any of your relationships, whether it be a friend or you tally up how many wins you got. Or am I just that shallow? Okay. Righteousness... Is about the purity and the presence of the living God. Jesus was righteous because he was able to experience everything we experienced, 
but remain in, in the Father the entire time and never sin. So righteousness is about proximity. Rightness is about uh, just that. It's the power over someone of being right, of being in a place of alignment with something we think is important. But it's not about being right. It's about being righteous. And we can't be righteous if we're drinking milk because then we're not really pursuing the heart of God. So it's about being in God's presence. The entire thing. To be mature, we have to be in his presence. Because solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Then we have this long passage. And this, um, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith. And you see more of this stuff of leave the elementary teachings so you see this pattern. And then you get in verses 6 through 8. And people can get lost in this when they read this passage because... We see something very poignant here. We see, and um, excuse me, where are we in the word of God and the powers of this age come? And then we have fallen away to restore. Okay, where am I? All right, four. Sorry, four through six is what I meant to say. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tested the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And then we see this good soil and bad soil. We can get lost on this because people and churches will fight over once saved, always saved. Who's heard that? Okay? This passage, regardless if that's what we may think it's saying, is trying to move us to the idea that we have to move this place move from this place from infancy to maturity because if we are mature people, then we're doing those things and we'll never fall away. Whether it's possible or not, we'll never fall away because we've tasted the goodness of Christ Jesus. We've tasted the power of his Holy Spirit. We've tasted the fruit that comes from him. And in that sense, if you taste the fullness of God, I would say that it would be impossible to get back there if you fell away because where else would you go? Now, I, again, it's not about saved once i think it's more of a hypothetical here that we're talking about but it's to lead us into maturity it's to lead us to a place where we leave this milk because here's the great thing if you're if you're concerned if you're concerned with or convicted you're good to go because the lord's doing something in your life and so um here the whole passage is about this movement from this milkiness that we so often partake in and moving to solid food and what does that look like and how do we get there and so lastly here we see um though we speak in this way and this is what tells us from the previous verses of four through six what the author's trying to say though we speak this way yet in your case beloved we feel sure of greater things that belong to salvation so let salvation work in your life there's hope The challenges and the persecutions as we continue to seek Jesus, there's hope. There's hope. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and your love that you have shown um, in his name and serving the saints as you still believe. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, we're going to talk more about promises next week. But listen to this. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators. Imitators. All right, I want you to 
keep that. Now, this is a big passage, right? There's a lot here, all right? So we're going to go to this passage because this ties it all together. Because we can't be fear-driven. Because oftentimes, remember, we talk about the, the, the future can rob you of today, right? When we put our worries in the future, can that not? How many of you have had a day ruined because you're thinking of plans that haven't even happened yet? And then afterwards, when you get some kind of healing from it, how ridiculous do you feel? Anybody other than me? It's like, stupid. Why did you do that? Okay. Now, this is where it gets really good. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Before we can do that, we have to understand what discernment is. What's discernment? I'm asking you. Give me an answer. Seeing clearly, okay? Seeing what clearly? Whatever you need to see, yeah. Spiritual truth in a situation, yep. What else? What else is discernment? How many of you have used the word discernment in a conversation in your lifetime? What does it mean? Why'd you use it? What? All right, distinguishing good from evil, yep examining it, okay, a situation. How many of you walked into a room? Did you have one? Studying the intent of the situation, yeah. How many of you walked in a room and without talking to anybody, without, you've only been there like two seconds, something's not right? Who's felt that? What do you think that might be? Revelation, right? Discernment. Discernment is how we distinguish between where God is and where he's not. Do you think that's a vital tool to have walking with Jesus, to know where he is and know where he's not? Absolutely. So that we can distinguish good from evil. Get this. What did Adam and Eve want at the garden? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. What do we have in Jesus through discernment? We have a knowledge of that, but... We have a way to know what to do with that. Let me say that again. We have the knowledge of good and evil, but with Jesus, he shows us what to do with it. And that's the key. That's the key. The sermon is being able to distinguish where he is and where he's not. And as we practice, we begin to learn to know what to do with that. In all its forms. Where we need to show grace. My gift is not in mercy. Okay? Those of you that know me really well, warts and all, mercy I I, I have a hard time with. Certain things, when it comes to animals, man, if someone hurts an animal, like hunting, that kills me. No pun intended. But it, it like, what? I got mercy. But when it comes to something else, it's like, meh. I mean, I fight that, right? It's something that I have to work on in my life. And there are other things. But one of the things I feel like I've done right in my life, um, and that was ingrained in me since I can remember, is to practice the presence of God. And it is very hard. How many like practicing patience? Yeah? Exhilarating? Life-changing? Energizing? No. How many like practicing grace and mercy in the moment of you wanting to see justice done on someone that's done a terrible act? 
And how many of you want to not only engage grace or mercy, but engage what that looks like in that situation? Right? Practice is hard. It's not an easy thing. But if we don't practice, and we will always stay on milk. See, we as Christian culture, historically, right? Historically, especially in America, I'm not saying this about every single person. I'm just saying, historically, we have become a group of people that are great at picking out what someone's not doing right and letting them know about it. Have we not? I'm great at it. I am. I mean, if, I, if they had a PhD for judging, I'd be pretty good. Now, what you do with that is a different story because, you know, the temptation is, okay, well, you feel it. The temptation now is, what do I do with it, right? Okay, so there's, um, I just lost my thought. I'm not, not going to fake it till I make it here, so tell me what was I just saying? What? PhD in judging? Yeah, that still doesn't connect me. What did I just say before that? Oh, what to do with it, Yeah. So the Lord shows us what to do. It. So that's something I struggle with. One of the things that the Lord's really shown me how to do is practice. And I practice, and I practice, and I practice, and it's really hard. And I don't get it right all the time. But practice is not about just picking out what's wrong. It's picking out what you're doing right, too. And here's the thing. When you practice the presence of God, it's not like a practice room. You're doing the real thing. You're doing the real thing. Some people will say to me, oh, Brendan, guess what? I went and I... I introduced myself. I practiced introducing myself. Well, you didn't just practice it. You actually did it. So while you're practicing, you're actually doing out of the presence of God. And so we are called to put into practice the presence of God, which means that you have to be in the presence of God, which means the number one thing is first posturing yourself into his presence. Because if you don't do that, then it becomes about practicing the task and not practicing the presence. Okay? becomes about practicing the task and not practicing the presence. How many of you have trouble or have had trouble hearing God's voice in your life? And it's okay, I have, man. Right? Uh, raise your hand if it's frustrating. Raise your hand if you've, at times, and I'm asking you to be vulnerable here, just wanted to give up on it. Anybody? Yeah. Especially when you feel like you hear nothing but crickets. But here's the deal. There are ways in which we can practice hearing God's voice. And as we do that, it's hard. Okay, let me tell you that. Everything that we're called to practice in the presence of God is going to be challenging because it goes against every fiber of our being. And so when you're wanting to hear God's voice, you have to posture yourself in a place where you're going to listen. Now, as a guy that runs his mouth all the time, I'm great at talking, and I'm probably not very good at listening at times. So, um, it's funny. I, uh, I was taught at a young age, um, and I, I'm trying to practice this. You know, one of the things that we do is we, we talk about what we're not good at. Does someone do that? You kind of diminish yourself, all right? And I know I do that. And so, one of the things I'm trying to do is also tell you what I do right so that you have permission to say what you do right because that's important because we can't always focus on what we don't do right we have to focus on what we do right as well and and one of those moments in my life was that when I was in San Diego I started an internship ministry where I would select a couple of uh, people and and um, one of the first one was Morgan who's here today and I would always every week we would spend a couple of hours practicing listening to God's voice yeah 
Oh, it's Morgan's birthday today. So if you want to embarrass him, oh, here's the deal. If you go on Facebook, his mom put up this really funny, cute picture of him at medieval times, and he was knighted. Oh, so adorable. You look at that, and you look at him now, and you go, what happened? So I'm just kidding. But thank you for the rabbit trail there. So anyways... Um, one of the things that we did every week was we practiced sitting in God's presence, asking him a question, and then he and I would, coll- and whoever was there, because I had about uh, up to four interns at one point, we would collectively listen to what God has to say, and when we felt the Lord was done, we would share what we had, and we would test it. And then we'd find, oh, God speaks. Well, I had this one intern named Matt, and Matt is, uh, he's actually been here before. He's actually played worship here before. He's a great guy. And he is, oh, he loves Jesus. And he loves watching Jesus move. But he's very, can be very insecure with his, his own spirituality. And I remember we were practicing this. And he, he feels he has a hard time hearing uh, God's voice. And he would let me share this, by the way. So I'm not just throwing him under the bus here. And I remember we took like 60 or 70 kids to camp. And it was really overwhelming. And we had been practicing listening to the voice of God. And here it comes. He's going he's gonna to do this with some students. We had a student, you know, you get these mountain high experiences. They bring in this fancy speaker that says the right thing at the right time. God just uses them, and your kids are like, blah. You know, they're just crying, and you're at a chapel till 2 in the morning praying with them. It's a wonderful time. And I remember Matt was with one of our most challenging guys that just would never connect emotionally or spiritually. He had so much trouble. And so he came to Matt, and Matt's looking at me, and I'm just watching him. And, and Matt knows it's, he's got to lead this guy through some prayer. And Matt's looking at me like this. And I'm like, and the guy's back's to me. Matt's looking straight at me. And I'm like, Matt, you do it, you know? And he, when I did this, he knows, you know, ask the questions. So I hear Matt go, okay, all right, so-and-so, let's, uh, we'll just call him Bob. Bob, let's, um, let's just uh, ask the Lord what he wants to say here. So he does. And I'm like, good, good. And he kind of looks at me, he's like this. And I'm like, keep going. You're doing good, buddy. And uh, then all of a sudden, Matt starts saying, okay, um, Bob, I just want, I think I'm hearing something from the Lord. Can I share it with you? So he asks permission. He's doing all the right things. And he goes, this isn't thus says the Lord, but this is what I'm hearing. And Matt, for 20 minutes, reads this guy's mail. Okay? It's hitting everything. And you see this guy who's not been able to connect with Jesus uh, in, in a way he wanted to start sobbing. And you see him going like this. And Matt now is like, so he hugs him, and Matt looks at me, and he's like. <laughs> and then he did that all week with these kids, and he's going, oh my gosh, I hear God's voice. And it was because he pressed into God's presence, because you can't, can't do that unless you're engaging God's presence. And you saw this wonderful thing happen, and these kids were getting an example from someone that used to be a peer of how to hear God's voice. And everyone knew how he struggled with it because he was open about it. And all of a sudden, all this is happening because he moved from milk to meat because it's so challenging to, to get out of our pews sometimes and allow God to just take us through the ringer of training because it stretches us. I'm going to do this like tough mutter thing in July where they put you through these crazy obstacle courses. And every, I, I do the worst thing ever and I go look at them on, on the web. And, 
you got to jump through hoops of fire underwater, you know, and then go underwater and be submerged in a tube, and a, you get a panic attack. If I were to go do that now, without training, without preparing, I'd die, man. <laughs> it would not be a good situation. I got to prepare myself for it. I got to step in. And that's what we're called to do here because the, the, the author wants to share more, but he can't share more because these people are hitting their default button. They're being challenged, and they're being persecuted, and they want to go back. And he's like, no, you can't live in milk anymore. And that goes for us. We can't just think coming here and sitting in a pew is enough. We can't think just doing a mission trip here or there is enough. Are they good things? Yes, they're good things. They're great things. But we're only going to go so far if we are not always trying with every day we have to um, engage the presence of God and then go where he goes. It's going to be really hard. Now, I, wanna, I want us to pay attention to something here. In verse uh, 13, we see, You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Now, that sounds like a negative connotation, does it not? Because he's a child. Now, but wait a minute. That can't be right because didn't Jesus say, unless you come to me with faith like a what? Child. Unless you come to me like one of these, you'll never, never inherit the kingdom. Wait a minute. This is weird. Here Jesus tells me to be like a child. And this one, this guy is telling me like, to be like a child is not a good thing. Well, let's put that in context here. When we hear, in, hear, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled, and the word righteous, since he is a child, that means there's the immature side of a child, because no doubt. <laughs> who has kids? Yeah, young or old, as kids, we can be immature. Man, if you've got little kids, yikes, right? They push every button, even buttons you didn't know you had. They find it, and then they're like, and then your patience is really tested, and you really got to practice it. I'll tell you, you want to practice the presence of God. Work in daycare, be a babysitter. I don't work with kids, and man, you will get every opportunity to practice the presence of Jesus. But I will tell you, one of my greatest honors in my entire life is to be a parent. And whether you're a parent, whether you're a, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, one of the greatest blessings to be around children because there's a reason why Jesus says, unless you come to me like one of these little ones, you will not inherit the kingdom. You know he says that to? He says it to his disciples, the mature ones, who are trying to keep the children from pursuing being in his presence. Because faith like a child really means, really means pursuing like a child. Pursuing Jesus like a child. Those of you that have kids... When there is something on your kid's mind that they want, what happens? Everything happens, right? Do you ever stop hearing about it? No. What happens when you throw, throw your kid up in the air and they like it? What happens when you put them down? Again, again. In my house, it's more daddy, more daddy, more daddy. Last one, last one, last one. Over and over and over and over. If we combined, in this room, if we combined all the more daddies, more mama from every person here, it would probably outnumber the grains of sand on planet Earth, right? Because when they see something, they go after it. They go after it with complete trust. They go without, with complete abandon and no shame. They just go after it. That is the 
faith of a child, the pursuit of a child that we are called to have. And it's linked to this. It's not just the saying that goes, oh, how sweet the kids actually have a place in the kingdom. Let's teach it in Sunday school and let's just hope they are encouraged to be in Jesus. No, it's for us who have lost that to, to re-engage that because Jesus wants us to pursue him in a way that you see as a child. Now, what happens with kids, kids are our greatest resource when it comes to knowing the heart of God because it shows us what it's supposed to be like, how we are supposed to be with him who is our father and we're his kids. And I have the great pr- privilege of watching my daughter, Gracie, just wreak havoc everywhere because what happens is I get glimpses of Jesus in a way that I never have before. And the thing I love about kids is that they're present. When they see something they want, they're present. They're there. They watch you. And they don't just watch you from a distance. They're with you with it. I I come home and I see Gracie on a chair with her little apron on with Shanna going, Dad, Dad, I help. I help. And, And she'll watch Shanna. And then she'll not only watch her, then she'll start to do it. But she doesn't do it away from her. She does it in her presence. They're there together, and she's imitating. The key word that we see at the end here. We're to be imitators. Well, I wanna, I'm going to give you a little, little insight into my home. Um, one of the things, you know, Shanna's been doing is she'll change Emmett, who's almost three months now, wherever she can in the moment of chaos. You kind of just pick your spot, throw a blanket down, and do the quick exchange, right? And how many have experienced that? You can't, sometimes you can't wait for the changing table. You just got to go MacGyver on the situation and just do something. And so Gracie will watch. She will watch Shanna put the blanket down and change Emmett. So I'm at work one day, and I get this picture texted to me from Shanna that just cracked me up. What do you see here? <laughs> she took every towel, every burping cloth, every stuffed animal. That's just the ones you can see. All right. And she laid them all down. She grabbed diapers and she practiced while mom was changing Emmett. And I came home the other day and there is a perfectly done diaper on Winnie the Pooh. Perfect. She got it down. She just kept going. She watched. She was with. And then she imitated. And she did it. And she doesn't want to go back. Right? What is this fundamental thing in our hearts? For some reason, we want to go back. I don't, I, I don't see kids doing that. They always want more. They want to mature more quickly. They want to do what daddy's doing. They want to do what mommy's doing. When are we going to want to do what dad's doing? When are we going to be, want to be with him every waking moment and watch what he does and can't wait to participate with him? That's the practicing. That's the pursuing. That's the faith of a child to be right there. Gracie always wants to be by my side doing what I'm doing. For the most part. <laughs> and it's always more. Show me more. Now I want to do more. I can go potty on the little potty. I want the big potty now, right? I don't want diapers. I want undies. I, I want this. I want that now. I want it. 
you know, there's this sense of growth and this passion to always want to grow deeper. Man, if we can't learn things from kids, we're done, right? Because it's amazing what you'll see. I mean, that just, I was like crying when I saw that because it was the one, it was the cutest thing ever. And two, she's watching. She's learning. And that's not just my kid. That's what we've all done at one point or another, for good or bad. Sometimes we've said things we sh- something we shouldn't, and our kids imitate that, and that's not a good situation. Especially if you're like a church function, right? That wouldn't be good. I'm guilty of that when I was a kid. So this, we can go deeper philosophically. We can do all this, but this needs to be practical because God's not... He, He's not giving us this stuff just so we can think of it philosophically and feel better about what we know. It's so that we can put it into practice to grow closer to him and continue to be transformed in the people that he's called us to be, which is his children. And the word that is used in here and other places in scripture is beloved. And the more that we learn to to practice discernment to see where God is and where he's not, the more and more we'll be in the right place at the right time because we're in his presence. And it's really easy it's really easy to get complacent. And I'll end with this. I, I don't have the gift of mercy. I don't have the... I have a trouble receiving, a lot of trouble receiving, with a variety of other things. But one of the gifts I function in the most is discernment. But here's the deal. I believe everyone has a level of discernment. And there's some that it just, it's just more powerful than others or stronger than others. Let's just say that. And so the thing about discernment that's tricky is that when you see what's not right in a situation, when I communicate it to someone, what do you think they hear? They hear what's not right. If I'm telling Mark, you know, Mark, I'm sensing something and "Ah, and this is what I'm not seeing right and this person's doing this, oh my goodness, ah." it comes out sideways and it's negative. And when you're always sounding negative and you know it, how does that make you feel? Yeah, so I, I remember hitting this plateau. It's like I can sense things in a room and all of this stuff, but I get stuck at this place that when I communicate, it's not giving life. If anything, it's making me feel worse and the person I'm communicating it to feel worse because there was something more, and that's the key. There's always something more. And so I have to learn that through my discernment, that there, I have to discern how to communicate in a way that builds life. And that doesn't mean you always tell people what they want to hear, but it is saying be wise and discerning in how you communicate it and when you communicate it. And that takes time and practice and pressing in. How many of you have discerned something, said it at the wrong time in the wrong way? How'd that go for you? Right? How many have done it the right way? And watch it breathe life. Right. So practice is something that we always have to press into. And... There'll be times we fail, and that's okay. That's okay. I forget who said it to me, but it, it's when you fail, it doesn't make you a failure. And that's kind of where we take it. But it gives us opportunity to grow. I, um, Mark was <laughs> kind of teasing me this morning because he said I got a text from Shanna about me watching cartoons with the kids. And oftentimes the kids will leave, and I'll still watch the cartoon. Um, and so we were watching Meet the Robinsons. Has anyone ever seen that, that Disney movie, Meet the Robinsons? 
It's a, it's a cute movie. And uh, one of the things is the scientist family and this and that. And when someone fails, they celebrate because it leads to growth. It leads to new life. It doesn't make you a failure. It's like, yes, all right, now you saw a growth area. Now let's pursue that. What if we had that same notion as Christians when we practice? Because there will be times where we're going to fail, but that doesn't make us a failure. And when we take that, we're afraid to practice because we're afraid to fail because we think it makes us a failure. And then we get in a shame spiral, and then we lose sight of our identity and our value. Which is why and forever will be your first and foremost call is to know that you are loved and that can't be taken or diminished from you. Because if you got that, then you don't have to be afraid to fail. Practicing the presence of God is something that comes with a safe environment. Where God knows you're not going to get it every time. Does that mean we take advantage of that? No. But it does mean God provides a safe place for us to learn because we are indeed children. We don't have it all figured out, but we need to pursue him with that, that reckless abandon and go after him and be in his presence and let him show us and walk with him. And it's going to be challenging, and that's why, and I say this all the time, we have each other to encourage one another. We can't be the, the church of the past which says, you're doing that wrong. That's not helpful. That's shaming. That fills up our soul care sessions. It does. Does it not, Diane? That's not helpful. We need to encourage one another as we grow and as we press into Jesus. And when we can do that, and as we do that, we will see things happen that we haven't seen before. And I love seeing wonderful things happen that weren't, wasn't even my imagination because it shows me how big God is. And as we practice practicing, as we see this happen... We'll be changing diapers in no time. Yeah? And remember this, when you practice, it's actually happening while you practice. And that's the cool thing. It's not wasted. It's not something you practice and it doesn't count. It's not like when you're doing a sport and you're, you're in practice and you score a touchdown in practice. Well, it doesn't count to anything. Well, yeah, it does. It builds you up. You learn. You grow. So never discount it. And remember, we are given one day, because when you think about, whoa, i got to practice every day of my life, that's really discouraging. Yeah, it, it kind of is, but you don't have every day of your life. You have the one you're in, and I can't emphasize that enough, because that's a reality that Jesus wants you and myself to know without a shadow of a doubt that it is a gift, because it's also, that gift is grace and mercy in action, because it doesn't give us more than what we need to deal with right in front of us. So, what are we going to do today? That's the question. Is this another sermon? Is this another time we sit down? Is this where we're doing our milk thing? Or when we leave this place, we begin eating solid food. We begin practicing. We begin engaging the struggle. But we do it together, and we're always entering in to God's presence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for <laughs> we thank you for children and the gift they are to us, and how they <laughs> oftentimes they reveal more about your heart than we can find anywhere else outside of Scripture. And um, 
Lord, I ask that we would be attentive to how you speak to us. Because you speak to us to situate, through situations, through your word, through prayer, through worship, through people, through thoughts. But help us pay attention because you're revealing yourself. And I ask that you give us the courage to enter in, to continue to practice, to continue to be there. We don't want to circle the wagons of where we used to be. We want to continue to move forward, and we want to do it without fear of, of failing. Because it's not about failing or passing. It's about knowing you more deeply. And we thank you for your grace and a mercy that gives us space to fail, but yet doesn't make us a failure. Because we continue to engage you. We continue to move into your presence and we continue to grow. And we continue to know your, your heart better, not just about it. Because we want to move beyond information. We are uh, information overload. So use our lives to flesh out that information in a way that reflects who you are. So I just thank you, Lord. I pray a blessing over this time of offering that we would continue to press into you and and give what you call us to give without fear. And not just money, but time, relationship, the practicing of trusting you. As it was said this morning, you are trustworthy. And we ask that you would bless it for your kingdom, for your kingdom for your glory and yours alone so bless us in this time as we press in continue to press in in worship and prayer and fellowship we pray against the works of the enemy in jesus name we pray against fear we pray against shame and condemnation and we step in to the safety of your presence that brings peace and grace and mercy love and joy in anticipation for what you're going to do next. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.